This episode of Songwriter Stories is sponsored by Piano Wars. Piano Wars offers unique, high-energy entertainment featuring dueling pianos, sing-along, audience participation, and dance music. Find out more at pianowars.com. You're listening to Episode 3 of Songwriter Stories. I'm Dave Caruso. Some songwriters think that analyzing music or learning more about it will somehow contaminate their writing. For them, seeking enlightenment beyond the yellow brick road will reveal nothing but a timid little man pulling levers and pushing buttons while cowering behind a curtain. Don't believe it. Studying and learning to play a song will not only help you enjoy it more, but you'll be able to marvel at the skill and musicality that brought it to life. Getting those chords and changes under your own hands and absorbing the details of great writing can inspire you with specific ideas for taking your songwriting onto new roads in new directions. Let me show you what I mean. Millions of fans who have discovered Elton John's 1973 album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, have experienced the poetic and sonic wonders of The Ballad of Danny Bailey, 1909-1934. If you haven't heard it, do yourself that favor. Lying in wait on that double LP... Originally four sides of vinyl bursting with a huge variety of superlative music and stellar songcraft, The Ballad of Danny Bailey is a deep-cut jewel of masterful songwriting and imaginative storytelling. Musicians and non-musicians alike can certainly appreciate the song without knowing what makes it tick. They can simply experience it on a gut level thanks to the viscerally descriptive lyrics of historical fiction conjured up by Bernie Taupin at the height of his creative powers and accompanied by the virtual roller coaster ride of Elton's chords and melody, which we'll talk about later. But let's dig a little deeper because there's so much more to appreciate. The Ballad of Danny Bailey recounts the life and death story of a young gangster. It reads very much like the guest op obituary for a public figure or folk hero. Because in the 30s, some gangsters really were regarded as folk heroes, and the gunslinger's death notice was often the inevitable sequel to his wanted poster. The first thing you might notice from reading the song lyric is that the title includes Danny Bailey's date of birth and death, suggesting that this fictitious character is part of our historical record. As we'll see in a minute, placing Danny's death in 1934 is no accident. Since reading a lyric can't deliver its full impact, we rely on the singer to breathe emotion and life into it. And so, a swiftly repeated pronouncement of ominous bass notes from Elton's piano heralds our troubadour's somber entrance. He intones quietly and respectfully in fits and starts. Some punk with a shotgun killed young Danny Bailey in cold blood in the lobby of a downtown motel killed him in anger This vivid opening conjures images of John Dillinger, American Depression-era bank robber, being gunned down outside Chicago's Biograph movie theater. The ghostly reverberation of a single snare drum rim shot, the fatal gunshot, by Nigel Olson, dramatizes the event which has already occurred. Notice the seemingly insignificant detail, but he was murdered in a motel and not a hotel. It's a hint that as criminals go, Danny was too small-time for a hotel, much less a fancy theater. 
Gradually, the narration grows more fervent as our eulogist testifies. He's memorializing Danny as a victim of his circumstances and asking us to be sympathetic toward his demise. I guess the cops won again, fleshes out his myopic portrait of Danny Bailey as an anti-hero. Here's an interesting question. Is the storyteller saying that the punk with a shotgun was himself a rogue cop who couldn't wait for the wheels of justice to turn, or is he saying that the cops won through some random punk's proxy? It makes sense either way, but because he's glorifying Danny and disparaging the cops, the former idea is at least plausible. For fans who grew up with the relative innocence of Elton and Bernie's singles like Your Song and Crocodile Rock, this song was one giant thematic leap to the dark side. The duo had certainly visited darker material before, but primarily on their album tracks. As Elton's star began to skyrocket, legions of fans were paying much closer attention to the songs nestled between the singles. And on this album, there was plenty of dark chocolate to sample and savor. Speaking of dark, that's a haunting and devastatingly clever way to begin and end the chorus, suggesting that the harvest is a collection of dead boys whom the police reaped during a recent season of crime. Actual American gangsters, Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Babyface Nelson were all killed by FBI and other law enforcement within a seven-month period in 1934. A grim harvest indeed. Typical to their collaborative workflow, Bernie's lyric was completed alone before Elton added his music. The natural cadence of the two verses are different, which means they sit comfortably in their own unique rhythms. That's why I always recommend to early songwriting students that they write a melody for whichever verse they finish first before penning succeeding verse lyrics. This can be helpful for matching their initial musical and rhythmic template if commercial simplicity is their goal. Elton took a more sophisticated, albeit slightly less commercially accessible approach by changing the rhythm of the second verse melody to fit the natural flow of the lyrics. For another example of this, listen to the verses of Benny and the Jets from the same album. There's no attempt to maintain a consistent rhyme scheme from verse to verse. In other words, Bernie chooses not to force anything to rhyme where the writing is better served without it. That's a bold choice. But we rarely rhyme in real-world conversation, so this lends authenticity and believability to the story. When he does utilize rhyme, it's less expected and has more impact, using words we wouldn't easily guess. Toppen packs storytelling detail into almost every line. In the second verse, we learn, Without Danny Bailey, we're gonna have to break up our stills. This informs us that Danny was probably a thug hired to protect Kentucky moonshiners. Simple turns of familiar phrases can be very effective in writing song lyrics. Bernie combines the concepts of gun runner and young gun to coin... a run-and-gun youngster in a sad, restless age. In doing this, 
he reinvigorates the words from the old phrases and gives them specific new and original context. Notice that at the end of that newly coined phrase, he cleverly confirms that these events occurred during the Prohibition era of the Depression by calling it a sad, restless age. That's a double-barrel shot of creative ideas in a single sentence. Now let's get back to that musical roller coaster, or more appropriately, getaway car, speeding away from the city. The verse melody starts off as if we're in the Kentucky foothills, climbing the harrowing back roads into the hillside in a 1934 Ford or sedan. Beginning on a minor chord, Elton holds this and then moves up a half step to a major chord. After repeating this slow and steady progression several times, he steps on the pedal and modulates upward, continuing this thematic pattern while creating newer, higher tonal centers. The band enters somewhat unexpectedly during mid-verse, establishing a stoically solid halftime march. Acknowledgement of a funeral? As Dee Murray's bass guitar provokes tension by scaling precariously upward in short, double-time phrases. By underemphasizing and muting his downbeats at the start of each phrase, Dee's bass line keeps us thrillingly off-balance as our getaway resumes. At the end of the verse, Elton wails. We travel in spiraling bumps and waves to announce the arrival of the chorus. The chorus is rambling rather than repetitive, pushing our escape to new ground, with Del Newman's string arrangement swirling over and around us. Tension and release abounds. Even though the melody isn't simple enough to be hit song material, somehow its symphonic tendencies and elusive tonal center never diminish the tune's singability. And Elton accomplished this singability despite a lyric whose language and meter defy pop song expectations. While the lyric is brilliant in its own right, it's the song's musical contributions, spearheaded by Elton John's melody, chords, and musical framework, which propel it into the stratosphere. Nigel Olson's drum fills in verse 2 deserve special mention, where he creates suspense in the storyline with rolling outbursts of scattered backfire. We're running short of heroes Back up here in the hills Without Danny Bailey We're gonna have to break up our stills So mark his grave well Cause Kentucky loved him We should also give kudos to the phenomenal multi-track backing vocals as sung by band members Dee Murray, Davy Johnstone, and Nigel Olson. First, when Elton sings... Elton's regal chord inversions and the layered harmonies which follow remind us of an authentic period newspaper headline announcing the gangster's death in massive font size against a chorus of mourners giving a collective sigh of both sadness and release. The original headline in the New York Daily News read, Dillinger shot dead, and it blackened nearly a quarter of the front page. Just as remarkable is the sound the backing singers make as Elton sings, I guess the cops won again. They had been holding an ah, and they close it off animatedly with an oomph. The effect is killer. My brother Rob suggested to me that it's the sound of the police dragnet swallowing up the bad guys. Ah, oomph. I guess the cops won again. Now it's all over, Danny Bailey. The final chorus ends with a soaring, acrobatic wail. Ah, 
bringing our ride gradually to a gentle ending. It's reminiscent, in a good way, of the start and end of the choruses of his song, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Both songs use these sections to start or end a modulation. Here, the last note trails off with the fluttering, downward, portamento glide of the string section. But then, it appears we've driven straight into an ambush, because after a short pause, we restart our steady ascent into another verse, this time into an instrumental-only story soundtrack. For another full minute and a half, the band members in the string section vamp forebodingly, building additional tension as Elton injects percussive, machine gun keyboard stabs and rocks his chord clusters rhythmically back and forth in a musical homage to an FBI shootout. Because, as history has shown, no self-respecting ballad of a gun-toting gangster would be complete without a prolonged hail of bullets and bodies that danced in death like a marionette on the vengeance of the law. But let's save our analysis of Elton and Bernie's ticking for another day. You've been listening to Songwriter Stories, Episode 3, with our analysis of Elton John and Bernie Taupin's The Ballad of Danny Bailey, 1909-1934. You can find a complete transcript of this episode in the writer's room at songwriterstories.com. You can also listen to other episodes there or subscribe to us at your favorite podcasting site. Thanks for spending some time with us. That's all for now. I'm Dave Caruso, and I'll see you next time.